Hello everybody, my name is Bradley and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today, today we are continuing our deep dive into the first novel of the Bridgerton series, The Duke and I. In this episode, we're going to be covering chapter 10. Chapter 10, look, this book is, is taking some time to ramp up, but we got a kiss and a boob and a fight in this episode. Any, any episode we got a kiss, a boob, and a fight is going to be a good episode of a podcast. It's going to be a good chapter of a book. So buckle on up and get ready for, for what is sure to be a, a fascinating discussion on, on this wonderful chapter in this wonderful novel. I'm going to assume you have listened to the past podcast, but if you haven't and you're just jumping in for chapter 10, I already kind of ruined it, but there there will be adult content in this podcast talking about a very adulty uh, series in many ways. And so I would recommend not listening to this podcast uh, uh, around children unless you want them to hear my analysis of the kiss boob fight chapter of Bridgerton. With regard to spoilers, if you have not watched the first two seasons of the Netflix adaptation of these books, you should do that. This whole thing kind of spun up after I'd watched that show, and so I will reference it as needed to analyze this novel. So if you're not watching the Netflix show and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, feel free to go watch that. And also, I'm reading this and podcasting about it as I go, so I've not read ahead and coming back to it. So I've only read up to chapter 10, so I will not be spoiling anything past chapter 10 of this book. And finally, before we get started, check out the Patreon if you like early access to episodes and those types of things. I'm currently using the Patreon Cashola to buy a recording setup for where I work. For those of you who don't know, I work on a little island kind of off North Vancouver, and it's very, very hard to record these podcasts because I'm only home for about one, one and a half days a week, and I got to record it, edit it, upload it, publish it, all of that stuff, plus live a real life, plus have a social life, plus do errands and all those types of things. So I think it's time for me to invest into that recording setup so I can have that ready to go and kind of get these episodes out a little faster so i really appreciate the patreon people over there uh, taking that or giving that a gander you know uh, also feel free to head over and leave the five star reviews wherever you can leave five star reviews i would appreciate that tell your friends family dogs uncles about the podcast that would be great as well and other than that you know there's just a bunch of links and stuff in the description or the show notes of the podcast that you can check out as well but i'm i'm itching this i i can't wait to talk about this chapter so let's get in and talk about chapter 10 of the duke and i by julia quinn merry christmas happy new year everybody i can't believe on the first day of a new year 20 january 1 2023 i'm sat in my house reading this chapter of bridgerton recording this podcast i just want to say before i dive into it i just like to do a little like did i enjoy this chapter there are parts of this chapter that drive me fucking insane, that, that like drive me up the wall, and we'll, we'll talk about those. But overall, this is easily my favorite chapter of this book. There is, what Julia Quinn does really well in this chapter is there's all of the smuttiness of Bridgerton. It's not even that bad. This Look, this chapter is not that bad. Like, you know what I mean? In terms of like the general... Um, I, I feel like I'm a person who reads a lot, and so like this is not that bad. We're getting there. I'm sure it's gonna get weird, but like for now, it's it's the the worst thing in this book so far was the toe thing that happened earlier. <laughs> so this is this is normal stuff we're talking about here. But in in a chapter that has so much of that like sexual discovery of our main characters, which at times can be a little strange. Uh, it has a lot of heart and a lot of character moments, and it's really well crafted. It's really well paced. There's a lot going on, and and the structure of it makes perfect sense. Everything feels, you know, these books sometimes struggle to be a little realistic. I feel like everyone's motivations, everyone's actions, the situations the characters were presented with were were genuinely 
Like they would genuinely come up pretty naturally and they made a lot of sense to me and the way the characters acted made sense and kind of how that chapter progressed. And some of the, you get, you get quite emo. I'm not going to lie. The end of this chapter is a little bit emotional. Like it's not, it's not going to blow your mind if you're used to reading books that, that kind of focus on kind of in-depth emotional character beats. But for, for my impression of a Bridgerton novel, based on what people told me about it, I found the back half of this chapter kind of post-Anthony kind of coming into coming into Casa Ruckus. Um, after that happened, I found the back half of this chapter to have some really compelling and, you know, sensical emotional beats. I wasn't expecting that. I'm not sure if you were expecting that either. Um, but I found, I found this chapter to be a, an absolute delight to read. And I, I really enjoyed it. And thought it was genuinely a well-written chapter of this kind of novel. Despite some of the, the things that drive me insane about it. This chapter starts, like all chapters, with a little bit from Lady Whistledown. Now, I've not read every Lady Whistledown, you know, bit and bob at the beginnings of these chapters. But this, sometimes it just goes so well with the chapter that you have to read it. Many a woman has been ruined by a single kiss. 14 May 1813. Many a woman has been ruined by a single kiss. The reason why I found this quote interesting at the top is the word ruined, right? Because this is it's not like she's quoting somebody in real life. Like she, Julia Quinn is choosing these quotes. She's making them up to kind of frame each chapter. So sometimes Lady Whistledown will give us a kind of beat by beat blow of what's happened in between chapters and that can be super helpful. Sometimes sometimes she'll use each thing as like a mini prologue. So what's really smart about this Lady Whistledown setup is you can kind of offload a lot of the exposition to just the you can just have exposition corner with Lady Whistledown at the beginning of a chapter and then none of your characters have to offload all of that exposition. So you could you could use Lady Whistledown to say like, "Hey, everyone's going to the Trobig Trowbridge Ball, and there was horse traffic, and everyone was having a good time, but Daphne and Simon got up to some stuff, and then you can hop into the chapter, and you can go from there, and I'm not sure if that happened or not, I could flip back one chapter in my book, but I'm not going to, this is my podcast, I'm gonna do what I want, and I just like, I like the Lady Whistledown setup at the chapter to help frame it, and I found it was interesting that instead of framing this chapter, because it's a direct continuation of the last one, where they go into the bush, and they, they, they start kissing at the end of the last chapter, and you're like, ooh, how is this going to go? Um, so to frame the chapter as Daphne kind of being ruined by a single kiss, I just think it's fascinating, right? Especially when you consider the end of this chapter where she's having to deal with the fact that Simon won't marry her and kind of for Daphne's story going forward. I just found the word ruined really stuck out to me reading the first kind of line of this chapter. Simon hilariously kicks off their their mid kiss at the beginning of this chapter, but we kind of pop into Simon's head for a second, where where he's not sure. He's like he's not sure when he decided he was going to kiss her, and he has this moment where he thinks to himself, or the narrator thinks on behalf of Simon, like, yeah, he had convinced himself the whole time he was going into the bush that he was only doing it to like protect her from the other guys or to tell her that like, hey, we can't be doing this or whatever it was. And I found that not relatable in this sense. I've obviously never been at a ball in the UK in 1813 in this situation that hasn't happened but we all do that all the time where there's situations in our lives where we know the reason we're doing it we know deep down the real reason we're doing it and yet we've convinced ourselves that that's not the reason we're doing it i will admit i will admit that in my high school years and maybe even my early college years a little bit like if i had a if i had a crush on a person 
if I had a crush on a person and I wanted to like find a reason to hang out with that person, naturally, that didn't feel like a date. I will admit to like planning a whole party, right? A whole party, like a Christmas or New Year's or my birthday or whatever. I will admit to planning a whole event, right? That that may or may not have happened anyway. Like my birthday, right? Like you're, you're going to have a party on your birthday around like structuring it and like planning it around having this person that you're kind of into show up. Right, so you can hang out with them. That makes perfect sense. That happens all the time. Maybe not in your life, but for me and my friends in our crew, I don't know if Canadian high school is different than everywhere else, but that happens all the time. But the whole time you're doing it, you're convincing yourself you're not doing it. You're like, that's not why I'm planning the party this way. When you sell it to other people, you don't certainly don't go to other people and go, hey, come to my birthday party. Uh, it's set up just so I can talk to this other person that I'm into, not you. You know what I mean? You convince yourself like, oh, you know, it's going to be super fun. We're going to go out. We're going to hang out with all of our friends. I'm going to get everyone together. You know, I haven't really socialized in a while. Like, you, you kind of you kind of gaslight yourself into like the real reason you were hosting this party. And so I found this to be hilariously relatable. And for you, and don't lie to yourself. We're not allowed to lie to ourselves on this podcast. This is this is what this podcast is about is about truth telling and, and opening ourselves up to the world and you have done this in some capacity. Maybe for you, it wasn't a party, but maybe for you, you did something, right? Um, let's call it like, let's do a non-romantic example, like cleaning your car. This is another one I'm guilty of. I've definitely been guilty. My car is pretty clean most of the time. Like anyone at any time can get into my car and they're not gonna go like, holy fuck, what the, is something growing in here? You know what I mean? But every once in a while, I'll drive through Tim Hortons and like leave the breakfast wrapper in the backseat of the car or whatever. That happens from time to time, but my car is mostly pretty clean. However, I will admit to cleaning my car kind of a little extra knowing that knowing that in the future at some point that I'll be picking up, maybe it's the same person that I organized the party for. I don't know. But when you do it, you convince yourself. You're like, ah, oh, no, no, no. We should, car needs to be clean at all times, <laughs> right? I should keep my car clean. Like this should be a thing. So you kind of gaslight yourself a little bit. And so I know you've done it. I know I've done it. And I found this moment from Simon hilariously relatable. Since we're in the mood of, of telling each other, this is weird because I'm just telling you and you're like, why am I listening to this guy talk about uh, Bridgerton, but that's okay. Um, there was a line in here. Most of the ma this ma this makeout scene lasts five pages or so, and most of it was written well in terms of like smutty makeout scenes in uh, in Renaissance era, not Renaissance era. What's it? What's it called? What's the era called? Don't do this. Oh, Bradley, you researched this for the television show Regency era. It's the Regency era um, for Regency era romance books. This, this is a well-written five-page <laughs> makeout scene. But there's one line that I pointed out, and it said, like, she opened her mouth barely enough for a breath. And that, that right there is Julia Quinn having a keen eye on the male gaze, because that's hot as hell. That is the hottest thing in this chapter by far. That is, I just want to point that out there. You know, you all get to read this book and, you know, get all horned up because it's Bridgerton. I'm just the one and only time I'm just going to say that line right there was a great example of Julia Quinn being like, what if a, that, that line right there is a great example of Julia Quinn while writing this book being or her editor coming to her and being like, what if what if a dude in his mid 20s who really shouldn't be reading this book has decided to read this book and make a podcast on it? 
what what's in what's in it for him what's what's he gonna enjoy about this five page makeout scene and that's that one line that one line was great i love that one line um there's just that is a look that is a look that is very male gazy and it's attractive and so i just wanted to point that out good job julia quinn i found something in this five page makeout scene and i was like huh that's pretty cute. I could be into that. So that was a good line. Uh, in this makeout, they he pulls away. And I don't know. It's hard to uh, picture this. So I'd love like emails or feedback on like how you envisioned this when you read it. Because I laughed out loud. And I know it's probably not meant to be that way. But when they're making out and he he pulls himself away for a little bit. And the way he says it is like, and he, and he managed somehow against all the gravity of her body to pull himself away just enough for the night air to squeeze in between them or whatever it says. And then she says like, no. And I, I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine being in like a mid makeout with someone where you where you like break apart like just slightly for just half a second and the person immediately like verbalizes no and it's in all capitals and it's like I, I didn't know because if it was like a soft gentle no maybe it would have made more sense but I always just like this could just be continuous like this is where the writing like I just couldn't I couldn't picture how that makes any kind of sense whatsoever i think it, i you know look i'm pro daphne in this whole chapter you know get your bag girl you're having a great time if you want to keep making out you keep making out in that bush until you are good and done making out in that bush that's all good but just the, just the whole no thing i had a hard time visualizing in my head how that sequence was playing out Simon makes some observations about how dark it is, and even though it's dark, he can't fully, or because it's dark, he can't fully see Daphne. And this is where the writing gets a little bit suspicious. I think I'm gonna fire this next line into the into a cannon and then launch it over the ocean, and it'll land somewhere in obscurity where no one could put it in a book again. Simon describes Daphne's lips as colored just a tinge or pink or like some, they have whatever color lips are, pink, with just a tinge of peach at the corners. Like, get the fuck out of here. Get out of my book. Get out of my brain. Who on earth, who on earth has ever noticed or described somebody's lips in that way? You could convince me. People, people are attracted to different parts of people's bodies. You know, people say all the time, like, man, forearms are my thing. I like forearms. Like, cool, good for you. I got it, right? That's good intel. But no one has ever been like, man, that person's lips are, are are pink with a tinge of peach at the corners. Even in like, and I get that you're not just gonna go say that to people, but even in like first aid situations, like you, you we go through different colors lips can be in first aid. Um, just for those of you that are aware, I, I have like not a paramedics level of first aid, but a pretty high, like just under whatever the paramedic level is. So like really high level compared to your average person. There, there's some shades lips can be and that can tell you a lot about someone's condition. And at no point, at no point is anyone used like this just, peach is not a thing. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't write this. This is, this is someone needs to edit this book. You can't describe someone's lips as just, or pink with just a tinge of peach at the corners. I don't know why I'm brush, brushy, br I, I tried to say brushing and bristling against this so much. And maybe you read that and thought, maybe that was your, maybe that was your, she opened her mouth barely enough for a breath line. Maybe you were all into that. But I was not. That line sucked. That needs to get out of this book. 
now. Fans of the television show, we got the he burned for her line somewhere. It wasn't out loud, interestingly enough, and maybe we'll still get it out loud later, but the line I burn for you is such a huge part of season one of the television show that uh, getting it here in Simon's head, like he burned for her was super cool. And so after that line, they keep making it. I'm not gonna, actually, you know what? One second, we're gonna start a new segment. We're gonna start a new segment and, and maybe y'all will hate it. Maybe y'all will like it, but I'm here. I'm here for my own entertainment. And to entertain you, of course, don't get me wrong, but I like to be, I like to entertain myself while I'm recording. This segment is called Bradley Reads a Sex Thing from a Bridgerton Novel. Now, I will point out this is not a sex thing yet, but we might get there. Um, let's, let's take a read of this sequence. His hand snaked up her arm over the pale satin fabric of her glove across bare skin and then finally past the wispy silk of her sleeve. It stole around to her back, pulling her closer, squeezing out the distance between them. He wanted her closer. He wanted her around him, atop him, beneath him. He wanted her so much, it terrified him. He molded her to him, his arms wrapping around her like a vice. He could feel the length of her now, every last inch. She was considerably shorter than he was, so her breasts flattened against the bottom of his ribs and his thigh. He, sh he shuddered with desire. His thigh wedged between her legs, his firm muscles feeling the heat that was pouring from her skin. Simon groaned, a primitive sound that mixed need with frustration. He wasn't going to be able to have her this night. He wasn't going to be able to have her ever. Clearly, he hasn't watched the TV show. And he needed to make this touch last a lifetime. I was going to read that whole page, but I think that's enough. That's enough of a taster for you guys to let me know whether you think this is a segment that should continue or whether that was deeply uncomfortable and you wish that never happened. Because I think it would be very funny as this shit gets weirder and weirder and weirder if I just like straight faced just dove in and read it out like an audiobook. I just audiobooked this makeout scene for you. Anyways, they're making out in the bush. And they did the whole thing. They break apart. They come back together. Everyone's clearly having a good time. I am super pro. Everyone have a good time. This is great. Um, Simon starts moving her dress around. He says he noticed. He noticed. He happened to notice. It's just, you know, you can tell. You can just tell, I guess, by looking on these fucking complicated dresses and corsets. How does I? Okay, I don't actually know how this works because they, they don't mention a corset in this chapter and it's possible that there was other outfit swaps in the last chapter that i just haven't remembered but anyways um the dress is shifty it's movable it's on loose fitting and he's like moving his fingers around her neck and he has the thought i could i could pull a boob out i could drape this dress down <laughs> and he thinks to himself i'll give her every opportunity to stop so like i just imagine this like painfully slow moving of the dress but the more the, the the way this happens is daphne's one of daphne's breasts is exposed and that's exactly the moment where anthony rocks in which had me laughing out loud and it comes up again later which is even funnier like i like how the book referenced it but yeah okay so so the boob is out they were making out the boob is out and then anthony is about to beat simon's fucking brains out so 
Anthony comes in and he yells, you bastard, really loudly. And there was another line that was very good writing. Like he was closing the, he was 10 paces away and closing the distance quickly. And like, I, I imagine that line, like as he, as you're reading the line, he ends like three paces away. Like he's closing the distance as you're reading it. That was such a, that's like, Julia Quinn. There are some issues I have with how she writes. A lot of it to do with like perspective and peachy lips, but man. The couple of lines in this chapter got me. Like, they were good. All right, so Anthony comes in, and he just starts pummeling the shit out of Simon, which makes perfect sense. And I think we should talk about this here. I love taking dunks on Anthony. I will continue to dunk on Anthony at every possible opportunity. With my modern sensibilities, I obviously hate this whole system and structure. Right, I obviously this whole idea. I, you know, if you are two super hot people in a bush at a ball and y'all want to make out and have a boob exposed and all that stuff, just do it. Have a good time. Who cares? That's my opinion on the whole thing. As long as everyone's there, they've like consented to the process and they're having a great time, then let's all have fun, right? And so normally, I would bristle up against somebody coming and just beating the shit out of another person in this kind of situation, but. Considering the structure they do work in, Simon definitely deserved this. Seemed like he was expecting it. Uh, he at no point tried to, yet at some point was so open to being punched in the face. Anthony's like, I can't punch you. You want it too badly, <laughs> which was also very funny. However, uh, Anthony Anthony's running with a currency here. That is one punch per infraction, which I think works out at, at a great deal for Simon. There's one punch for defiling your sister. Where if you think your sister has been defiled and the recompense for that is one punch, then I think Simon's coming out on top is like a pure one for one trade, right? And just want to be clear, there's no defiling. It's just Anthony's perspective is that, right? And, and so um, the trade I'm talking about, I need to, before I get, you know, this clip recorded on the internet, the tr specific trade I'm talking about is a consensual, romantic, lovely makeout in the bush that your makeout partner's brother within the social structure perceives as defiling. That's what I'm talking about. And in that situation, your trade is one punch. That's not the worst outcome. And then Anthony gets another punch in for betraying his friendship. And look, even with my modern sensibilities, I've seen a lot worse shit happen to people for betraying a friendship. Not endorsing it, just seen it happen. So I think Simon getting two punches for both of those infractions is a better situation than I think within this world instructor he could have reasonably expected to come out with. Daphne, bless her heart, is trying the entire time to get them to stop. Of course, Daphne, who's super into this dude, this, the, she's super, she even says the man she loved. Daphne in this moment is so into this that she's like, she's got the whole like, um, oh, spoilers for Outlander, she's got the whole, um, season five, season four, episode five, um, thing going on where one of the characters, uh, sleeps with another one of the characters. They have a full experience. And, um, one of the characters goes, I think I'm in love with you. And the other character who's well more experienced in life and a little bit older goes, no, you're not, you're not, this is not love. This is just like immediate passion. And that, that kind of referenced in my brain when I was reading this chapter that to Daphne, Daphne may may well like genuinely love him and love is super subjective anyway like can any of us define love no if people could define love it'd be a little easier I think but Daphne is all in on this guy right and so Anthony comes in and just starts beating the shit out of him 
And Daphne's like, like there was no def like there was no defiling, there was no nothing, whatever. She seems like super nonchalant. Yeah, fucking, I guess we're getting married or whatever. Like she doesn't care about any of that stuff. As long as like don't beat him up, there was no defiling. Which I would just bless Daphne's heart for trying. I think the part Daphne's missing is the social structure part is bad, right? This is this is like in this social structure. Anthony is responsible for his younger sister, and the whole social structure in general is obviously terrible, right? Um, from there, though, even in the modern day, like, making out in a garden with your best friend's sister is gonna be a problem, and I think that's the part Daphne misses a little bit here, is there's always just... Now, I don't have sisters, and I've never, you know, tried to make out in a bush with any of my friend's sisters either. So that's never happened. So I've never been in this situation. But I'm just aware that if if you were to go and you were going to try to date a friend's sister, I think in modern times, right, there wouldn't be a a huge deal made of it, but it's uncomfortable. You have a lot of, like, emotions to work through with your friend on that topic. And so I think in this world, in this structure, when those options are like punch the dude in the face, I think Daphne's not quite getting that part of the equation and why that part of it's a problem. It's more of a personal, like this is, there's, there's two problems happening for Anthony. One's the social issue and one is the personal problem of your best friend who you know is not fit to marry your sister going and making out with your sister who... He's now forced to marry, which is also the dumbest part of this system. It was super dumb in the show, but it's very dumb in the books. Like how? So you make out with someone and then you have to marry them. I feel like this is just a, a recipe for assault of some kind. And I don't know if this world is particularly concerned about assault of any kind. However, I guess, yeah, maybe they don't. I don't know. I guess we'll find out later if the duel is illegal, but whatever. They, this system is dumb. Right, this system is dumb. You make out with someone in the bush, then you have to marry them. Like that is where we're at with the le like defiling. I just, uh, oh man, this sucks for this sucks for everyone. I'm sure this is not the first time I'm gonna you know have problems with the you make out with someone now you have to marry them situation. I just feel like that could be abused. But moving on from that, Anthony says he'll pay at the altar, which is subtle Daphne dunk. Like, yeah, he's going to have to marry you now. Like, yeah, he'll pay at the altar. Like, I just thought that was really funny. Um, the whole thing gets paused for a moment, though, because Daphne falls in some bushes. And this is the funniest part of this chapter. It is genuinely hilarious. It's such good comedic relief. And so Daphne falls in some bushes and both of those guys... Um, Simon's not fighting back this entire time, which I find a little bit endearing. He knows he fucked up. He knows he deserves this. He's going to let Anthony punch him. And, and so, cool, good on Simon. Um, but when Daphne falls in the bushes, Anthony and Simon have to, like, tag team. And it, the way it reads, and may, I've read it twice, and so maybe I just, maybe I just kind of missed it, but it kind of seems like they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting, they're fighting. Daphne falls in. They don't fight at all. They just, they just help Daphne. Like, it's like the whole thing is paused. They're, they're trying to figure it out. I've got, they're like, I've got long sleeves and you got short sleeves, but she'll need your coat. Like, they're a real team trying to get Daphne out of the bushes. Simon does this hilarious, like, on three, but then pulls her on two. Very, very funny, right? And then after, 
Anthony gives Daphne the coat. Daphne has this thought. Actually, Anthony says it out loud. But Daphne, I've seen your. And then Daphne goes, oh, my God. Anthony has seen my breast. It's it's unnatural. <laughs> Great line. I love that, you know, even minor incesty vibes, not healthy in this world. We can all get on board with that, even in 1813. So that's good. And then the second Daphne has the coat and she's all right. Anthony clocks Simon in the face. And I just thought it's like, it's so funny how like all the animosity just pauses and then it just picks up the second Daphne's out of the bush again. I found that genuinely hilarious. I think it's time we moved on to the emotional bit here because there's a lot going on. And I don't know if I'm going to do the whole situation justice. And I'm trying to, to remember exactly how it happened. But there's a, there's a few different problems going on here. Uh, Anthony and Daphne and Simon are fully aware that in this world, if this situation were to happen, it would be expected for the Duke Simon to marry Daphne. And that's the expectation of all the characters at the moment, at the end of this situation. Simon, in his own internal monologue, knows that he can't marry Daphne. He knows that about himself. He's not suitable. He doesn't want to get married. He can't marry Daphne. But he's self-aware enough to really understand how much this is going to hurt Daphne. He understands that in his internal monologue that everything he's saying and doing about this marriage is hurting her. And he seems genuinely gutted by her kind of responses to this. So Simon is not unself-aware. He, he fully understands the social expectation and how this is going to affect the other person in the situation. Which begs the question... I don't think, with my modern sensibilities, obviously, that Simon should have to marry Daphne. Daphne doesn't care either. She's like, I don't force him to marry me, whatever. It's Anthony who pushes this deal because he views that he has to, right? But I, it's time, I think, to be a little critical of Simon. You knew before this that you absolutely would not marry Daphne. This is not a new revelation for you. You're not, like, having immediate post-makeout in the garden regret syndrome. And so, was this a responsible choice? Like, if you know going in that you can't fulfill the social bargain if her brother barges in on you in the push, right? And that, that not doing that will genuinely hurt her. Like, you understand that. Then you should avoid this situation. You should really... And I guess he did the whole thing where he talked himself out of it until he was in it. You know what I mean? Uh, we talked about it at the beginning. But I just want to be a little critical of Simon here, because I think a lot of the things Simon does in this chapter make a lot of sense and track and I can be supportive of. And he's really self-aware and he does really care about Daphne. He burns for her, one might say. But I felt like this was just really recklessly fucking with Daphne's emotions when her emotions, the whole point of their little uh, duo thing is so her emotions won't get recklessly fucked with. You know what I mean? And so... That bothered me a little bit. Not in a way that it like took me out of the book. It's a great character moment. But I just had this little bit of criticism for Simon. Where it's like, if you, if you were so, so against marrying her, which you have been, then you can't go into the situation where the outcome would be to marry her. Now, of course, there's another option. And that other option is a duel. So Anthony is going to fucking duel this guy. And then Daphne in her head is like, or even maybe out loud, she's going to shoot you, you fucking dipshit. Like, she's going to shoot you. 
And in his internal monologue, Simon knows that he he can't shoot Anthony. Like he he's not going to for one, but also he can't really honorably do that because um, he he's the one who committed the offense here. And so again, Simon's an honorable guy. He's very self-aware. But to Daphne, Daphne then has to deal with this like, so you'd rather be shot dead by my brother than marry me, right? And this is easier for Daphne because she wants to marry him. This is easier for Daphne because um, she's attracted to him. Possibly, if this was something that Daphne regretted, maybe she wouldn't feel so strongly about her brother coming to duel the guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but Daphne kind of has to deal with that. Like, hey, you would rather get shot dead tomorrow morning by my brother than marry me. And Simon pretty much goes, yeah, yeah, I would. And he says it a little more delicately, but man... That's got to fucking kill. That's got to suck. That sucks eggs, man. Like, I have obviously never been in this situation, but I imagine that Daphne feels fucking horrible about that. And I just, Simon, Simon, Simon. You can't be going around recklessly fucking with our homie Daphne like that. You're just not allowed to do that. And so that's my criticism of Simon. Anthony, I want to criticize him. But I don't know if I realistically can. Do I wish he was a more modern and progressive person who could, like, see that his sister was attracted to his best friend and just kind of let them do their thing? Yes, I wish that for him. But that was never who he was going to be. He is genuinely doing what he's doing out of a misplaced, I think a societally and maybe internally misplaced uh, idea of being helpful and supportive and, like, defending her honor and those types of things. So I don't want to fault Anthony too much here. Like going for the couple of punches in the face, demanding the marriage part, and then settling on the duel is the correct like social structure that he should be following. And you know, if, if your best friend was making out with your sister, you'd you'd be at least, I'm not defending him, but you'd, be, you'd at least have some emotions you needed to work through that maybe would have been hard to work through in 30 seconds. Simon also tries to kind of talk his way out of it. So let's do another segment that I'm making up right now called Bradley reads a non-sex thing from a Bridgerton novel. Daff, he began, not at all sure what he was going to say, but hoping that the words somehow came out right and in one piece. It, it isn't you. If it could be anyone, it would be you. But marriage to me would destroy you. I could never give you what you want. You die a little every day and it would kill me to watch. Pretty compelling stuff. Pretty compelling stuff from Simon. I just don't think it's realistic for Daphne to see it that way, right? There's all these kind of situations that people talk about where, like, people have broken up with them. And they're like, it's not you, it's me. And it's like, well, like, sometimes that's true. But people aren't usually purely that honorable where they're like, you know what? I need to break off this relationship for their good. Purely. Like, that's not a situation that happens a whole lot. And so... Simon, I think, is being honest, and I think he really means it, and I think he might be right, but there's no way for Daphne to reasonably see it that way, but what's great about the end of this chapter is that Daphne kind of thinks about it for a second and just kind of turns to Anthony and goes, like, I'd like to leave. Like, she doesn't cry. She doesn't, like, yell. She doesn't scream. She's very measured, and I'm not saying that any of those other, like, it's an emotional moment. I would defend any kind of emotional reaction. If Daphne went up and punched him in the face, too, <laughs> totally cool. But I think from Daphne here, 
this more like measured approach to it. And Anthony's like, we'll get you home. We'll tuck you in bed. I'll get you some brandy. And she's like, I don't want brandy. I just want to think. And you're like, oh, yeah, you think. You, like, I don't know what you think. I have, I had 25 ways to get Anthony not to kill Simon tomorrow morning is probably top of the list. But I, I really like this end from Daphne where she's kind of, she's she feels a little bit betrayed. She feels like, um she she feels like this guy that she's in love with would rather die at her brother's hand than marry her which has got to hurt but she takes this like let me sit on it approach that i i thought was like a little bit showed a lot about her character i think and i was really vibing with it and i think that's gonna be it for chapter number 10 i hope you enjoyed that i loved making this episode of the podcast hope you enjoyed listening to it especially the brad reads the sex thing from a bridgerton novel segment I don't know if that'll catch on or be deeply worrying for people, but we will see. If you did enjoy this episode, you know where to head to the show notes below. Check out the Patreon. Check out all of those types of things. I appreciate y'all doing that. Come and hang out in the Facebook group. Make sure to go leave those five-star reviews. I love those reviews too. Make sure that you subscribe to the feed as well so that when chapter 11 comes out, maybe we should do this. Let's do this at the end of every episode. I'm going to read... The lady whistled down little tidbit from the beginning of chapter 11. I'm flipping the book, so I'm stalling for time. What chapter, what page is chapter 11 on? Oh, I'm on chapter 8. Oh, no. I am going to read the little tidbit. Oh, now I'm on chapter 13. Uh, someone help me. I need, there we go. Let's read the lady whistle down tidbit for chapter 11. Lady Trowbridge's annual ball at Hampstead Heath. Is it Hempstead Heath? Either way. On Saturday evening was, as always, a highlight of gossip season. This author spied Colin Bridgerton dance with all three of the Featherington sisters. Not at once, of course. Although it must be said that this most dashing Bridgerton did not appear to be charmed by his fate. Additionally, Nigel Burbrook was seen courting a woman who is not Miss Daphne Bridgerton. Perhaps Mr. Burbrook has finally realized the futility of his pursuit. And speaking of Miss Daphne Bridgerton, she made an early departure. Benedict Bridgerton informed the curious that she had a, a headache, but this author spied her early in the evening while she was talking to the elderly Duke of Middlethorpe, and she appeared to be in perfect health. Okay, that's our setup for chapter 11. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I appreciate your listenership very much. Thank you for spending this 45 minutes with me today, and I will see you in chapter 11 for the next one. That didn't really come out right, but I'll see you later.